0: Welcome to the Capitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Craig West, the founder of Capitalize, and I'm going to take you through our digital platform to help you work with business owners to maximize the value of their business and successfully exit. In this episode of the Capitalize Insights Podcast, I'm joined by someone I've known for quite a long time, exit planning guru and a real thought leader in this space.
1: So Chris Schneider, hi, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to see you, Greg, and what from one guru to the other, I would say, <laughs> right? I mean, we were, I think we first met in 2011 at the very first EPI Summit in Fort Lauderdale, if you, if you recall. Yeah, that's right. I think we had 50 people at that yeah.
0: first summit. Yeah, that's right. And I think it'd be good to just talk about a bit of that history. I mean, I did that SEPA course in Chicago. It was done face-to-face back then. There was about maybe 25, maybe even 30 people in the room in the... um. I think the Booth School at the Chicago.
1: School of Management, Chicago.
0: Yeah, yeah, in Chicago. And we stayed there and uh, really interesting experience. And I've said many times before that has changed dramatically my entire business, my consulting firm, the approach that I take to clients and everything. So that was really fundamental change. But you're talking about a big change as well. EPI has changed a lot in that time. So maybe give us a bit of history. How did you get into, well, exit planning generally, but then how did you get to be involved with EPI?
1: Yeah, so it kind of goes back to like I spent the first like twenty years of my career in corporate America, right? I think my last corporate job was uh, was CIO for a two and a half billion dollar company that acquired a privately held business that I was working with at that time. At the time that was a small company to me was when I got there it was ninety three million, and that was small to me. Yeah, um, we grew that business to over two hundred fifty million in three years and sold it to a large multinational, and then I stayed out at the large multinational. Uh, for about a year and a half. And it was one of those classic cases where I realized I had been climbing the wrong tree for the last 20 years. I had achieved my objective to become a C-level executive. And then I was like, I don't like where I arrived. And most of that was driven, I think, from that experience I had working with privately held businesses, right? That experience I had with Flexiloy and I write about that in my book. And uh, so I left and... Basically, started my own consulting practice, primarily helping business owners with growth, right, efficiency, and growth. So, growth of sales and income was my focus. And you know, I started looking at you know to grow a business, not just organically, right? You can you can do that through acquisitions as well. Uh, I added the buy side, you know, to my to my model, so I would help business owners buy businesses. Um, And then I saw what the investment bankers were making when they sold the business. I'm like, well, I'm going to add that too, because (laughs) there's a lot of fees in that. And that way, it allowed me to develop this. This was the first time I started thinking about this holistic approach, right? And I had a model called buy, improve, grow, sell. B-I-G-S was our model. And we had service lines in each one of those. Now, fast forward, I was handling all that. I was doing very well by my clients, but one of the things I noticed, and I know I know you had shared the same experience, is that they just didn't seem happy. They had money, but they weren't happy. You know, and it always threw me. It's like I don't understand why you're not happy. That you can do anything you want in your life, yeah, then you have all the money you need. Like, what are you waiting for? What's the problem? What I is? realized, it, and this is what I learned from Peter Chrisman, and I think you need too. the The concept that we teach of the three legs of the stool in order to have a successful transition into your best act. Right. You have to be not only the business has to be ready, but you personally have to be ready and you have to be ready financially. Right. Personal financial. That really intrigued me. So I went to the uh, SEPA class in 2008. I was one of the first 100 SEPAs. And I really just bought into this whole thing, especially after I saw all the stats of how poor succession rates were all over the world, and particularly the United States. And it just became a passion for me. And you know, shortly after I became a SEPA, Rich and Pete, who owned EPI at the time, put me on the board. I started the first chapter. You know, I hosted the. I basically uh, was president of the first summit. And then, within a year after that, they came to me and they asked me if I was interested in buying EPI. And I just felt like all the demographics lined up, and yeah. it was work I was passionate about. And so I ended up acquiring EPI in 2012 with my son Scott Snyder, who's the president today. Yeah, so that's um, about when I got involved. I think I did the SEPA uh, course in
0: 2011, so just before you took over. But then immediately after that, you know, you guys came in under new management, if you like, new approach, and certainly I've seen massive change in that. T- it's ten years ago, so that that's a long time, but. Massive change. You know, as I said, the class was face-to-face. There was 20-odd people. You just told me before there's 200 and something in the last class that you did. It's online. Tell us about the change. And I mean, obviously, it's partly the demographic wave of baby boomers exiting. But it's also, you've really led that field with a lot of thought leadership and a lot of IP around how to
1: get this right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. To give you an idea, I was actually talking to Peter Crispin, who was one of the co-founders mm. of EPI. i just talking to him about a week ago. And he reminded me, he said, you know, when he first uh, Googled the phrase exit planning in around the year 2000, maybe 1999, he got roughly 500 hits. Um, He said he Googled it last week, and I think he said he had 554 million hits. Yeah, yeah. So that alone, that statistic alone shows how significant exit planning has become, uh, not just for our industry, but with business owners, right? And what I saw, and I know you, you felt the same way because you you developed products and processes around this as well, is that one of the problems is the definition of what exit planning was. And I saw there was no common process. There was no common language. If you talk to an insurance person, they have their own definition of exit planning and the state planner has a de- their own definition, right? Yeah. Um, and so it, the whole process, every, it was very fragmented and... You know, that the, made the experience for the business owner very confusing and very frustrating. And I always say this to people, when business owners get frustrated, confused, what do they do? Nothing. And so everybody was scratching their head going, well, how come these business owners aren't doing this kind of exit planning? They've got 80% of their wealth locked in their business. Only 20 to 30% of them are successful. Why aren't they doing it, right? And the, the reason they weren't doing it is because it wasn't clear how to do it. Um, and they would get a different answer depending on which advisor they talked to. So one of the first things that Scott and I tried to do is start to build a community of advisors who spoke a common language, had a common purpose, had an organizing principle, right? Um, so that we could build a community of advisors who really worked together and made the experience better for the owner and, and the experience seamless for the, the business owner. And so uh, the addition of the value acceleration methodology was a key part of that, you know, bringing that community together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really, um, it's now quite easy to talk to people within the community and there's several thousand of those people now. Uh, it's grown substantially and we'll talk about that in a minute. But they do use, I think it is about the common language and the common methodology. They all know what the three legs of the stool means. They all know what value acceleration is. There's a whole process and structure around it. That, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I, uh, I helped one of my clients exit when I was acting as an accountant before I even got into exit planning, a bit like you doing other work, you know, advising clients, but had a couple of clients that sell and we, we, we had to work the process out on the way. There wasn't a process. We made it up as we went, right? We, we better fix that. Oh my God, we didn't think of that. We better go and find that problem and solve that solution and, and fix things. So now there's a process, there's a methodology, there's a common language what sort of what impact has that had on the industry? Are you seeing much more success working with business owners? They're comfortable now. They they know there's a pathway. They know there's a solution. Let's go and do it.
1: Trying to think of the year. I think it was maybe 2015 or maybe 2014, mid mid 2000s. And I asked the class, which classes were all done live. I asked the class, how many of you have been approached by a business owner with, uh, can do you provide exit planning services? And for the first time, I had a majority of the class raise their hand, and that was a that was a milestone moment because I began to see it was not necessarily the advisors that were driving the process, but it was the business owners, and that was primarily being driven by the demographics. You know, and it's similar around the world, but in the U.S. at the time, about two thirds of the privately held businesses were owned by baby boomers, and that represented around ten trillion dollars of wealth. And everybody thought, well, we're going to see this big age wave, this tidal wave of exits that are approaching. I do think that we underestimated or misestimated uh, baby boomers thinking they would exit sooner than they really, you know if you re- now that we look back and look at the psychographics, it's obvious they, they were not going to exit at that time. But yeah. fast forward now, ten years, the this year, the average baby boomer. The average is 69 years old. I believe 68 or 69. Within 10 years, every baby boomer will be, six, will be 79 years old. Yeah, yeah. Or I think 78. And the youngest is going to be 69. And they own 3 million in the US. They own over 3 million of the 6 million privately held businesses still representing around 10 trillion of wealth. Yeah. So the number has shifted from 67% maybe 10 years ago to about 50%, 51% of the market today. So I estimate there's been about a million businesses that already have transitioned from baby boomers to some other generation. Probably the Gen Xers or millennials, but they still have over 3 million of them. Yeah, there's still a lot more. And the other thing we're seeing is that I think another dynamic we're seeing in the market is that this next generation of business owners are much more educated. They think much more holistically. Their identity is not tied to the business. They're embracing exit planning as a strategy to unlock their wealth that will enable them to to live a more holistic life. They see the connection between extracting the wealth in their business and building their life versus the boomers who were like seeing exit as the end and not wanting to let go. So I think we have these two thrusts in the market. Boomers getting much older. They have to make a move, you know. Yeah, Uh, because as Pete always says, they're human, right? But then this other generation coming up much smarter, thinking more holistically. Also, they're telling us they want to exit at 55. So I think it's just a wonderful time to be in the exit planning space because we have these market dynamics that are really going to drive the industry and drive the the rate of transitions much higher than it even is today. We're already seeing a flurry of activity in the market over the last two to three years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean you, you talked about the numbers in the US, they're the same here in Australia, they're the same in the United Kingdom. In fact, they they're the same in nearly every country all around the world. Yep, so it's exactly. not a it's not a localized phenomenon. And you know, Pete's right. They're all human and they will exit. I often say you're going to exit. You either want to control it and manage it yourself or it's going to happen to you. Right. And that's not cool sometimes because you don't always get the outcome you want.
1: Most of the time you don't. Correct. And then when you realize what you have to actually do to prepare yourself, and to prepare your business to be able to harvest the wealth in the business, it's many times too late. Uh, Because this is a, you know, I always say, this is a multi-year, expensive, emotional, complicated journey that you're on. Yeah, And you can't just decide one day, well, I you know, I think I'm going to sell my house. It doesn't work like that. It's a (laughs) lot more complicated than
0: that. Yeah, absolutely. So it might be good to just talk a bit more about The exit planning institute and that you know we talked about that first summit in fort lauderdale i don't know how many people were there maybe 50 of us you know we knew we went out late night drinking one night we knew everyone by first name you know but then i turned up to scottsdale last year there's i don't know how many people hundreds and hundreds of people couldn't possibly remember everyone's name uh, the entire you know, resort is booked out by EPI. I think there were four other families or something that were staying in the place. Everyone else was at your event. No one was in the pool because they're all in the conference. So that, that's a stunning turnaround. I mean, I know it, it wasn't an overnight success. There's a hell of a lot of work on into that in 10 years, but maybe just take us through that journey of, of, of the change and what's happening now at EPI. And the
1: size and scale of the thing now is actually quite substantial. Yeah. So today we're around 5,000 members. When I bought EPI, we are in 180 members. You know, when I went through EPI, we were less than 100. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we're at 5,000, and the rate of the number of SEPA's, you know, getting credentialed is is actually increasing. I think I mentioned to you before we jumped on this call. We had 256 uh, people in our lat in our SEPA program this month. Um, we're oh, running SEPA wow. programs online now every month. Where back in the days when you and I went through it, if we could get. Uh, you know, 35 to 50 people in a class and have two classes a year. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're certifying 70 to 100 people. That was a good year. And even my staff, who has been with me on this journey for a long time, they they laugh back to our retreat in 2015 when I told them we needed to get to 400 SIPAs and they were like, that's going to be impossible. <laughs> and, you know, now we're getting, you know, 250 in a class. It's common to have 100 you know, 20 to 150 in a class that's very common now. And, you know, we've got 5,000 members. So it's really, you know, people have really taken to it. And again, it's being driven by the customer demand and the market yeah. dynamics that are going on. At our last summit last year, we had, you know, over 500 attendees. The first summit, we had 50. Yeah. Wow. Um, this year, we're looking at 600 to 700. Um, and we're planning, we think that by 2024, our conference will probably have a thousand attendees. And by 2025, we're thinking we'll probably have 10,000 SEPAs. But the thing that's important to note is that not everybody that's involved with EPI or involved with the SEPA community is a SEPA. So we probably influence, you know, anywhere from four to five times the number of people, the number of SEPAs. So if we have 5,000 SEPAs we're probably influencing, you know, 20,000 to 25,000 advisors today in some form that participate and get involved with EPI. You don't have to be a SEPA to be involved with EPI. Yeah. yeah. It's a real
0: that's a really interesting number because that extended impact, you know, 5,000 SIPs, 25,000 people that are influenced by EPI. Forget EPI for a minute. That has a massive impact on the economy and the wealth of the baby boomer generation and their retirement. I mean, we're talking about the largest transfer of wealth ever. It's a lot of money. You've already mentioned the the $10 trillion you're talking about. If EPI can somehow influence a percentage of that, it's it's life-changing for those families often. And it's actually
1: life-changing for the economy. I mean, it's not just life-changing economically, it's life-changing socially. Yeah. Because when you look at the you know, immense contribution that business, private business owners have on their communities, right? Not just economically. Yeah. But in many, especially in some of these rural communities, the business there, the factory there, the distribution center there is the lifeblood of the community. Yeah. You know, so when we're talking about a 70 to 80% fail rate on transitions, that's going to affect not only the, the owner But think about all the employees, all the suppliers, right? All of the community members that participate that. So it certainly is a a significant economic challenge and opportunity. But I think it's just as significant, maybe even more significant, a social impact uh, that that we're having in our communities. uh, Because our advisors now, the biggest thing, Craig, is going back to what I said before, is the advisors now working together. By the advisors coming together, even if you're not a SEPA, uh, you could still you still work as a team. Yeah. And the fact that you're working now much more seamlessly as a team, right, makes the owner feel much more comfortable about moving along with this process because there's not all this team conflict that you previously had. You know. Yeah, so yeah. again, I think all of those things are momentum drivers, and it's why our industry is taken off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, In terms of EPI, you've managed, I I was
0: in the office, you know, what was that, eight months ago, maybe I was actually in the office. Interestingly, on the day that I was there, you weren't there, Scott wasn't there. And I don't mean that critically. What I mean is you've actually built a team of young, smart, driven people that are running that business in their way, but running it really well. I mean, it's a slick operation.
1: Thank you. Well, you know, one of the things that, that, that people, one of the comments that people say about our organization, and Scott and I... Specifically, is that we're very authentic, and they could see the passion that we have—not um, just for the industry, but in the value acceleration methodology. And the reason for that is that we live it. Yeah, you know, we're a father-son team. Yeah, you know, and I'm going through my own transition right here uh, yeah. with my son. I've transitioned most of the uh, operating side of the business, pretty much all all of the operating side of the business to Scott. Yeah. And it was funny because yesterday, Scott did a podcast, did his podcast, and he had two of our executive leaders on the podcast. And the podcast was all about how do you decentralize the business owner from the business? And it was interesting for me to watch the podcast and listen to it because I heard my own staff talking about value acceleration, the value of intangible capital, the value of decentralizing the business owner And Paige, our director of marketing, actually saying, "Well, we've pretty much decentralized Chris out of the business." You know, it's a it was a compliment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. And and she said, "And now we're trying to decentralize Scott out of the business." Yep. So that is, you know, that's one of the things. One of the first things I look at when I go to meet a business owner for the first time and look at a business is I'm immediately assessing how owner independent is this business because. If a business is owner independent, first of all, owner dependency is a deal killer in many transitions, right? it means you're not going to harvest your wealth if the business is dependent on you. Or if anything, you're only going to harvest liquidation value in most cases. The other thing that it screams is that it screams that that business has high intangible value. And we know that 80% of a business's value is driven by its intangible value, not its tangible value. Those intangibles being defined as human, customer, structural, and social capital, right? And what that also implies, though, is that if a business is talent, it's human capital, can run the business without the owner. If the relationships are with the company and the the employees of the business and not dependent on the owner, if the systems and processes and structure are all in place, so the business runs as the owner would like to see it run, right? Yep. Because it's systematic and it's procedural. And finally, that, those three things drive great cultures and cultures what we're all after. I mean, that is the biggest Absolutely. prize. So that also screams a highly valuable business, not dependent on, a biz- on an owner, but it also tells you that it's probably a business that's performing best in class financially. Yeah. Why would it perform best in class? Because it has superior talent, superior relationships, <laughs> superior structure. So the, the value of doing that is this exponential effect on value and it all starts with the owner saying i need to i need to drive my i need to become i need to decentralize myself from the business and let my staff you know uh, my leadership drive what's going on on a daily basis and strategically with the business yeah fantastic
0: so i'm going to switch a little bit now you've i've got a copy sitting right here on my desk of your original book walking to destiny there's a new version coming out very soon tell us a bit about that
1: yeah. And I get a little bit, um, emotional, but excited about it. You know, now you've written a book as well, right? More than one, I think. I thought the second, this is a new edition of walk into destiny because it's seven years now. Our wow. market has changed. Yeah. I thought going into it, that it would be a lot easier to write this new edition than it was the original. And I, there was another case of where I completely misestimated <laughs> how difficult it would be because you have. Seven years more of experience, and I have all these additional ideas and I've learned a lot of stuff, you know, uh in my own client relationships and from my SEPA community of, you know, got a lot of feedback from members and from business owners. So I had a lot more to give. And, you know, I was thinking, well, how am I gonna, you know, I can't like, how am I gonna do this? So the first rewrite of Walk the Destiny was, and for those of you that aren't into the industry, won't necessarily understand this poetry, was ninety four thousand words which is a, you know, for those of you not in the issue, is a monster book. A huge right? book. Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge book. And it's not a book that I could release, you know. So my biggest challenge was taking the original copy of this manuscript that I created and whittling it down to something that was, you know, manageable, but still extremely valuable for the industry. So it's a little bit larger than the last book. But what I get excited about, is that I think because I went out and worked with a, a publisher you know who brought a whole team to assist me this time yeah wow you know the messaging is so much clearer in this book uh, yep. a lot of the images are updated all the market data is updated I think I wrote four new chapters which required me to combine some others you know yep, um, yep. Scott now it's seven more years of Scott being engaged in you so I've actually listed him as a contributor to the book because he he had a lot of insights. He's the the next generation, and I yep. thought it was important to incorporate okay. the next generation's ideas in this book, not just my own. Um, I've added a, a set of reflection questions at the back of the book this time, which I think will be helpful for the business owner or even for the sepa and the business owner to work together. Because the, the owner could take it a chapter at a time, read a chapter, and then yep. go look at the reflection questions, kind of reflect on you know what he or she learned, or maybe even discuss those things with their sepa. And it, it sort of helps manage working through the book; makes it more manageable, you know. But as you know, at this point of a book writing, you've actually written it like six times. Yeah. And you know, when you're the author at this point, you know, I've been writing uh, since April. You're sick of it, like I am yeah. so sick of it, you know. <laughs> but I will say, you know, every time I get a fresh edit, we're we're done editing now. It's we're I'm actually waiting for the print proof. Every time I read it, Craig, I I just you know i get up and i go see my wife and i'm like man it's a good book you know <laughs> and i know i'm a little biased but i just really feel it it's uh, it, uh i've done a good job if i you know
0: if i say so myself yeah honestly. well done absolutely and it is a lot of work obviously so i'm i'm looking forward to getting a copy we'll uh, once it's out that'll be great i do want to talk about just before we wrap up um the summit we've got a summit coming up at epi i was literally today online organizing tickets and flights from Sydney across to come to Scottsdale. So tell us a bit about the summit this year.
1: Yeah, so uh, we're, we're back in Scottsdale again. Um, we had to move to a larger facility. Yeah. So we're at the Phoenician, which is one of the most beautiful luxury resorts in Scottsdale, Arizona. I think we're, we're looking at probably 600 to 700 this year versus 500 last year, which has become a huge conference. The uh, keynote speaker is going to be the founder of Netflix. So, uh, which I'm always amazed at these founders that create these. I mean, literally, this is a person that literally created an industry, right? I mean, and so I think it's going to be really interesting to hear his insights. Uh, I'm also giving a keynote this year about, you know, where we've come as an industry and where I think we're going. And of course, you know, our, our summits are always very, they're not a typical summit. There is some stuff like where you have some speakers, some interesting people who speak, but there's also a lot of workshops. So, you know, I'm working on the new case study right now, which everybody will work at on Teams. We've upgraded some of the ways we can document all that. So, you know, we're expecting another fantastic summit. We've already locked in uh, 2024. 2024, we're going to be in uh, Marco Island, Florida. Um, Wow at an even bigger facility, and that's already all locked in. So it's going to be great. For me, I think it was the 2017 or 18 summit was where I really started seeing our organization and the industry taking shape. It's sort of like you see your dream becoming a reality, right? It was the first summit where I didn't have to be the main stage person, yep. right? And I could sit back and I got to... Interact with a lot of our SIPAs and you know, and talk to them. Cause in the past I was always running from one event to the next. And I never really got to do that. And so the summits today, I'm not that involved in in running the summit. It gives me a chance to really talk to the SIPAs and meet everybody and spend time with our suppliers and partners like you. Maybe one thing that you could share with everybody, you did a you tracked the value of companies that our community at the summit. Was working with. Do you remember that when? Yeah, did you shared some of those stats. Yeah, I
0: mean, I found that amazing. We had a small, um, an iPad-driven app, and we asked advisors, any advisor that was there or anyone that was there actually, to come along and just put in a couple of key things. You know, how many business owners have you worked with in the last 12 months? What's sort of the average size of that business? And through the the algorithm, we basically then calculated what the impact was of. Advice on those kinds of businesses. And we found two key things. The first one was we're talking about just in that small group of people and and there were 500 people at the event, but not all 500 completed the the tool, right? So let's say maybe half of them did it over the three or four days. We're talking billions of dollars of business value to start with. So firstly, we're influencing billions of dollars in the economy, the the seepers that were there. The second thing that was even more important was there was also billions of dollars in increased value. So it wasn't just about I'm working with a business that's worth five million. What we found was people were saying, well, I'm working with a business that's five million, but I'm actually helping them get to be seven million before they exit. That two million dollars, multiplied by thousands and in, in the United States, it's literally millions of businesses, that is a substantial number. And the, the number actually comes out with a T in front of it. You know we're talking trillions, not, not small numbers. So however you calculate it, and even if our calculator is half wrong, and it's very you know, positive, it's a massive amount of influence. And that the dollar value of those businesses and the value increase, what we call value potential, you know, using our software creates that uh, calculation for every business we work with. But when you multiply it by 5,000 seepers, and even if they only work with two businesses each a year, and I know they're working with a lot more than that, 10,000 businesses times a couple of million dollars, it's a big number. And that was really quite interesting. I, I actually, and I shared with you, I remember, I took a photo of the screen you know at the end of the event because you know a couple of hundred people had used this calculator at the end of the event I took a photo of it because I just thought wow
1: and that's with less than half of the people that were there absolutely and so it's reasonable to double that number and that's I think you know what the what the summit's all about it's it's the gathering of I like to say it's a gathering of the best and brightest advisors in the industry yeah and so you have financial advisors you have attorneys you have CPAs, you have management consultants, value advisors. What's unique about an EPI event is it's, it's not functional. right? To be success, successful with exit planning, it takes a multidisciplinary yeah. team. And that's what you have at our events and specifically at our summit. All these different great minds coming together with one common objective, which is to drive value for business owners and have a passion for driving Value for business owners. And so it's such a motivational thing. Yeah. Because you're, you're surrounded by all this positivity of all these people who have this common, you know, driven objective to, to accomplish that for the business owner community, the clients that they serve. Yeah. Look, I had a great time last year. I'm looking forward to it. As I said,
0: we're just booking some flights and getting over there, but uh, it was a really good event. I'm looking forward to it. It's only a couple of months away. Before yep. we wrap up, um, two things, I guess. Firstly, how do people get in touch with EPI and get a copy of the book and so on? I'm assuming straight to the website.
1: The first, the easiest way is go to www.exit-planning-institute.org. Yep. O-R-G. .org.
0: Yep. Okay. Um, before we wrap up, three quick questions. And I'm going to spring these on you because I haven't given you any warning here. What's your number one tip for advisors?
1: Learn how to do, a, learn how to do and, and speak to doing a triggering event. So let me just briefly explain yeah, what that explain is. Explain that a bit right? more. Yeah, why yeah. that's important. Because I get that question a lot. And that's why I don't have to hesitate to answer yeah. it. The triary event, as you well know, is that first step where you go in and you assess the business owner's personal financial business readiness and determine the baseline value of the business today, or maybe more importantly, what it's potentially worth and identify those value drivers that if you pull those levers, will drive the value of the business basically sky high, right? Yeah. And as you know, because uh, we worked together on this, what we found is that if we can get the business owners to do that, 70% of the time, they go forward with action, right? Yeah. And the thing we were all scratching our head about is how do we get owners to take action? You got to get them to do the trigger event. Now, the thing is, is that most of the SIPAs don't do not actually perform the triggering event. Yeah. Right. But every SIPA should be selling a triggering event and positioning a trigger event and partnering with somebody that does a trigger event. Because once that lever is pulled, that's when all the flurry of action happens. Yeah. And that's what we all want to happen. So the benefit is that we all start getting engaged if we can get the owners to take that first step. the, the results, as you know, with your product and your company are so compelling. That it's this creates this aha moment that owners go like, I can't believe I haven't been doing this. Let's go. Absolutely. Great tip. Your favorite business book and why? I don't know if it's a business book or not, if you would call it a business book, but it's the seven habits of highly effective people. I can tell you I was completely out of balance in my life uh, back in the early 90s, working my butt off, rising through the corporate ranks, And a friend of mine, I still remember the moment, you know, as we were traveling, we were outside of a hotel and she went into her car and she pulled out seven habits of highly effective people and she handed it to me. And she said, You need to read this. Now, you know, this is now 90. So this is almost uh, 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Yeah. I'm in my early 30s and I'm working hard. And she could see that, you know, I had a family and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I was very out of balance. And I read that book and it changed my life. And I still have that book. I still look at that book every year to get to keep myself in balance. Yeah, fantastic.
0: And the last one's an interesting one. Do you practice what you preach? What's your exit strategy?
1: Totally. Well, this is what we just talked about before. This is one of the reasons I think that we're being effective because we, we follow value acceleration. In fact, Scott said the book that he's planning to write someday is going to be called Growing Up Through Value Acceleration, (laughs) right? Yeah, because he he said, I don't know any other business. I don't know any other way to run a business. Scott became an entrepreneur when he was 16 years old. And at the time, I was his coach and his banker, probably most importantly, his banker. (laughs) Um, And so he and I, you know, he's 36 now. So we've been working together for 20 years. And uh, I've been using Value Acceleration my whole career. Uh, I didn't commercialize it until 2016, but I've been basically using a version of it. And he's grown up with it. And what was interesting on this podcast that I mentioned earlier, my director of sales, my director of marketing, they said the same thing. They said, you know, we've worked at other places before we came here, but once we we came here, we don't know any other way to run a business. So we still, you know, I have a family council, I have a board. I all this advice that we're giving to people, we're a family business first. All the advice that we give to people, everything that you read in Walking to Destiny, is uh, been you know experienced by myself, my son, and our whole family.
0: Yeah, fantastic. That is a fantastic way to finish up. So, Chris, thanks for joining us. As, as usual, we could talk all day, but that's been really, really interesting, and I'm sure people love hearing some of the insights. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for joining us for the Capitalise podcast. I hope you found it interesting and useful. There's a lot more resources available on our website, which is just www.capitalise.com. And if you're looking for it, it's capitalised without the E at the end. Feel free to reach
1: out to us if you need any further help. Thanks for joining us.